Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Ramblett. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. One of the things that's happened over over the past couple of decades is technology has created a new way of uh, viewers and fans of uh, various people, including journalists, to communicate with um, with the world. But also, the social media phenomenon has created a news gathering. Uh, Source one one person who is the subject of a bit of communication on social media, as well as probably uses it for his own uh, own work, is Peter Ford Peterson, the entertainment reporter, uh, who many of you may have come across uh, on radio three AW and six BR, as well as uh, spots on the on the Seven Network, and we'll have a bit of a chat about the phenomenon of the online online beast, as they call it. Peter, thanks for joining me. Okay, Tom. It's terrific to talk to you. Now, one of the things that um, uh, you you tend to get in social media is a bit of a reaction from people. Um, how do you find this new phenomenon? Because when you started out, there was nothing like it, was there? Oh no, we had carrier pigeons when I started out. <laughs> Almost. Uh, you're right, though. There was certainly not this social media, particularly the sort of social media where you could, you know, post anonymous stuff. The place I am on, the only platform I utilise is Twitter. I do have an Instagram account. I do have a Facebook account, but I don't use them. I'm not active on them. The only thing I really do is is Twitter. So whatever I say, whatever opinion I have, is pretty much based on that. And and it is a very mean place um, for journalists. It can be a terrific place. It's a great if you, like me, are a news junkie and you want those fast, hard hits of news as it happens and reactions as they happen, it's, you know, a gift from the gods. You know, that that's exactly what it'll give you. But then there's also this dark side where people can you know, attempt to bait you and, and often succeed in doing so. How does it how does it play out for you? I mean, I know you you've... you've got a pretty thick skin. You've been around since Jesus was a boy playing pullback for Hawthorne. But the point being, um, uh, how does it play out? Because in a... in If we can talk about analogue communication, when, when letters came in, people got letters at a studio or whatever. <laughs> but the ease of, and the speed of reaction um, is one thing. It's easy to send... But also, the volume will be greater because more people can do it. Yeah, of course. And it's easy, you know, it's easy just to sit there at home and, and type something and then press send and, and see what happens. In the old days, when you had to write a letter and then go and put a stamp on it and post it, or you had to write a letter to the Green Guide, or you would ring up a radio or a TV station and, and hammer the poor uh, woman who was answering the phone. Usually it was a woman back in those days. And you know, so it's changed in that sense, uh, for better or for worse. And I'm lucky in that, for the most part, I find it quite amusing. Um, I, I almost encourage it sometimes if I'm in the mood. I kind of throw the grenade and, and the prediction, the, the reactions are usually very predictable. Uh, but that doesn't worry me. I, it, it's fun to see them sometimes. And so I don't get upset by it. There have only been two occasions, actually, when I've been taken aback by stuff on Twitter. And oddly enough, they've both been in the past month. 
prior to that, nothing's ever worried me in the least. I've just laughed it off and thought this is good fun. Or indeed, I've often turned it into material for myself and sent up the person, because nine times out of ten, the person writing this week has terrible spelling and terrible grammar. <laughs> so you can sort of send them up for that reason. Uh, but you know, often people come after you because of opinions, and it does seem to me that on Twitter particularly, there are a lot of people out there who do want to get a reaction from anyone in the media. It's like they just deliberately sit there trying to bait media people. And uh, it, it, they, I guess they've seen them on TV or heard them on the radio, and for them, that's the thrill, that they've been seen and heard, even if it's in a negative way, they've been seen and heard by, by that person. And I guess because I'm down the food chain, you know the odds... Uh, that you're never going to get a reaction, you know, from Russell Crowe or, or Kylie Minogue. But if you go aim lower, much lower, uh, you know, you'll find someone like me who doesn't have anybody doing their social media. It's, it's obviously just me. And, and they know they've got a better chance of getting a reaction. I've tended to apply the, uh, the rule of uh, not um, reacting too much, uh, if, if there's a pretty visceral um, attack going on, simply because uh, if you react uh, in a way that the person would like you to, there's a problem, and that is yeah. you're giving them what they want. It's sort of like a gift. You are exactly giving them what they, they want. You, you're right. Um, having said that, I just want to make it really clear. I'm an adult. I choose to be on Twitter, and I, I don't have to be on Twitter. So I'm not in any way complaining about it. Um, it. For the most part, as I say, I do find it very amusing. But for the first, I don't know, seven, eight years of Twitter, I never even used to block anybody or, or mute them. I, I would just have, take the opinion, oh, well, you know, that, that's their opinion, and they're entitled to it, and whatever. But I changed my mind. I changed my mind, I guess, about five or six years ago, and I, I, I thought, no, I, I'm not stopping you saying whatever you want to say about me, that's fine. I am exercising my right to not have to read it. And so, therefore, I do block people now. You know, I don't even hesitate. Sometimes I'll mute. It just depends on the mood I'm in. Because uh, <laughs> sometimes you know that if you block someone, you know they're going to do the screenshot and they're going to publish it and say, look at this gutless wonder. He's blocked me. He can't take criticism and all that. Uh, so you, you're kind of giving him a thrill anyway if you do that. So sometimes I think it would be wiser to just mute them instead. So uh, I don't make any secret of it. I guess I've probably blocked maybe... 8,000 plus people and I've probably muted about 2,000 people and I have no embarrassment about that whatsoever. Nobody has an entitlement to my feed and I don't block people just because they disagree with me. I have no problem with that at all. But if you're going to be trying to demean me, if you're going to be using foul language, um, I'm not interested. And most especially if I look at your profile and see you're an anonymous troll with 52 followers and you joined Twitter two months ago, <laughs> then yes, I'm going to block you without any hesitation whatsoever. Now, you referred to the fact that there were two incidents recently... Yeah. Um, that particularly got you worked up. Now, I'm having a stab at this, but is the saga around Barry Humphreys' passing 
the product of the, the, did that generate the two case studies that you're thinking yes, of? Yes, that was one of them. Um, and when the Premier of Victoria had a go at me, which is fine, I, I, I didn't care overly about that. In fact, I guess it was in some way a compliment that he would bother to react to anything I said. But I knew my story was correct. I knew for a fact that Barry's family did not want the Victorian government involved at all in any kind of funeral or memorial. That was Barry's wish. Uh, we won't have to trawl over the whole backstory again, but I'm sure people know it. But the Premier, for whatever reason, felt a need to try and discredit me because he'd got a text from one of Barry's sons, Oscar. And, you know, I don't doubt he did, and I don't doubt what Oscar said to him, but the Premier himself had said a few days earlier, there are differing voices within the family. And ultimately, of course, it came out that the, the memorial will, will have no involvement at all from the Victorian government. So my information was absolutely correct. But that didn't worry me, being publicly criticised. But it was the tweets that then started, like an hour after he had a go at me. And when on, I think I was trending at number one in Australia for the whole weekend. And they were mean tweets and from really horrible... You know, people who are just trolls and, and accounts with 20 followers and stuff. And I was just taken aback more than anything. That didn't upset me. It certainly didn't scare me, but I was just taken aback at how organised and, and almost choreographed it seemed to be. Um, so that was the first one. The second one was only last week when a, a man in the comedy world, Dan Illick, who's been around a long time, he's a very talented bloke, he came at me for no apparent provocation. And I started getting all these tweets saying, I don't know who Peter Ford is. And I thought, oh, that's odd. Why do you care? And if you care that much, why don't just Google it and find out? And this happened for, I don't know, five or six hours. I got a, a couple of hundred of them. And so I started looking to try and find why this was happening and where it was coming from. And Dan Illick, who I didn't follow on Twitter, um, in fact, I think I blocked him, he uh, had sort of choreographed his followers to come after me because he'd said that I had said on a current affair many years ago, I don't know who Dan Illick is. Now, I had no recollection at all of any of that. I didn't doubt that I must have said something about him, but I had no recollection of it. But these messages keep coming in. I spoke to Dan publicly, not spoke to, but communicated with him privately and publicly, and, and said, Dan, I, I don't know what this is about. I have no memory of it. But, you know, at some point, don't you have to move on? And if I did say something to hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. Anyway, kept going, another six, seven hours. So I thought, no, I've got to bring this to an end. So just out of pure curiosity, I pulled in a lot of strings and I got a transcript of the episode of A Current Affair, um, the editor's notes of, of what they used on air and what they didn't. And I said, nothing like he claimed I'd said, nothing like it. There was a story about they were, had, Dan had written or maybe co-written a musical comedy about the death of Richard Carlton. And a current affair did a story and I said something to the effect, oh, it's all too soon, it's upsetting to the family. Who do these people think they are? And so that's, that was it. So I posted that script up on Twitter and, and suddenly the messages stopped coming in because Dan had clearly, in his mind, forgotten what I said or imagined what I said. And it just, that threw me only because it was somebody in the industry who you would like to think knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of a pylon. And also it was based on something that turned out to not be true anyway. And for him to 
for 18 hours be choreographing these tweets to be coming in my direction, I thought was very mean-spirited and very odd behaviour. And frankly, even if I had said that, would you hang on to that for 15 years? I mean, that seems to be very peculiar behaviour to me. I'm also interested in... I guess we go into the the behind the scenes of how we work. Um, How do you use this online world now to gather um, news from what you do? Because it's it's frenetic. Uh, Yeah, well, look, it's pretty basic. I mean, obviously there are certain sites and news organisations and commentators who I follow... And as they tweet something, I see it. It's as simple as that. So you know what's about to really hit most of the time. You get a, almost like a forewarning of what's about to hit the mainstream. So that's that's pretty basic there. And, and you know, I get all the obvious news sites and entertainment sites, gossip columns, all of those things. So, yeah, I like that fast hit. For me, it also is a chance to promote something I'm on. Most days I will uh, tweet links to my appearances on some radio shows. I will usually link uh, one or two of my appearances on television every day. So you get a kind of an online following. Not that I make a cent out of being on Twitter, but it's um, it's hype. You know, it's hype and it's publicity and it's exposure. So I guess they're the, the benefits of it. And there are also other benefits. I've made um, lovely connections with people, including yourself, Tom, who we've become... Is it cyber friends? Is that what you call it? Or whatever, <laughs> Twitter friends or what? I don't know. But, you know, along the way, you obviously make a lot of enemies who you can block. But I've had very nice messages also, very positive things and positive feedback from all sorts of people and made some ongoing connections with people that, I mean, I wouldn't ever say I've made any personal friendships out of it, but I've certainly made some very nice uh, personal connections out of it and, and uh, some you know, good reference points if I, I need to follow things. It's also a very good easy point of contact too. If you want to get to someone quickly who you don't have their phone number and you don't know who their manager is, you know, nine times out of ten, in my case, they seem to be following me so I can make immediate contact with them. So it's a useful tool in that sense as well. Now, you've been at this gig for a while, haven't you? When did you first start? Well, I've been kind of doing what I do now for about... 35 years, in fact somebody just today on Twitter, oddly enough, talking about Twitter posted a photograph or a screenshot of me with Bert I noticed I know, my god, and I'm still at it you know, after all these years but of course I had a whole other career not particularly glorious one, but I had another career before I started doing this and that is, you know, for 10 years I worked behind the scenes as a radio producer and a TV producer so I kind of know the ropes a bit, you know, that's why I can often be very annoying to producers I'm working with because I kind of am often giving them free advice on what they should be doing, uh, which is not always welcomed. But uh, yeah, so I can't, I can't not think, I actually think more like a producer than an on-air talent because I'm actually one of those very rare people who had no desire or intention at all to ever be on television or ever be on radio. It just wasn't part of what I saw my, myself doing. But, you know, fate sometimes takes you in a different course. Um, how long do you reckon you're going to keep doing this for? You know, I actually, I usually ask myself that around about August, September each year. <laughs> <laughs> the depths of winter and 
I think, oh, I don't know, maybe it's time. And But the honest truth is, Tom, I still love it. You know, I still love it. I wake up in the morning, first five minutes, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning, sometimes even earlier if I've got sunrise, and the first five minutes are tough, but as soon as I'm brushing my teeth, I start thinking, oh, I can't wait to get online. I want to see what's happened overnight. And I get excited by stories. I mean, you get the occasional day when there is nothing much happening. And those are tough and you've got to try and make boring things sound interesting. But that's what you're paid to do. You know, in one sense, the easy days are the ones when there is you know, an abundance of material and stories. And it does seem in the last few years also what were just considered show business stories or stories that used to just appear on page eight or nine or the gossip column now are suddenly appearing on page one or page three. And so, you know, suddenly I feel like I have something to offer, like of legitimate news value rather than just stuff that belongs in the gossip column. So I like that. And of course, we also seem to have had this incredible spate of celebrity deaths over the last two years or so. And those things are, you know, they keep me busy as well and, and they're difficult to do and you try to do them as respectfully as you possibly can. What's the, bit, what's the um, biggest story you've broken in the past little while? Well, it's not a particularly uh, jaw-dropping one, but it was an odd one. And that was the night that I announced that Burke Newton had died. And I remember it very clearly, and it was, um, I was sitting in a, a bar in Hepburn Springs, which is near to my home, and the phone rang, and the phone lit up and said, Patty, it was 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I, I knew instantly what it was, because I knew how grim things were. Six months earlier, Bert and Patty had asked me to announce the fact that Bert had had a leg amputated. Um, and so when the phone rang again, uh, I just, I knew it was bad news and sure enough it was. And, and Patty said, I'd like you to make the announcement. And it was, you know, Saturday night, I couldn't go on television and do it. So I simply sent out a tweet and I, you know, wrote it out as, as best I could within the confines of a tweet. And uh, I checked the spelling, the grammar, and, and I pressed send and I knew it was going to be big, but it was 10 times bigger than I expected, you know, within 30 seconds. I, um, the phone was going ballistic. So I guess that's probably, in one sense, it was a very easy story to get. It didn't require any work, but it was, I knew it would be a massive story because it wasn't just Bert's death. It was almost like the, the end of an era of television in this country, you know, with Bert going. And also there was a personal connection too because I'd worked so closely with him for so long and he was a personal friend. So uh, it had an emo emotional level to it as well. So that would probably be... Not so much the story, but the moment of my working life that I'll never forget. Um, how... And you've been generous with your time, Peter, which is uh, always appreciated. Um, how do you... Um, um, do you I guess is the, on that story as well, how do you tell something that is that personal? Yeah, well, in some sense, you've just got to steal yourself and you've got to try and, and be stoic and, and take yourself out of it. But at the same time, people expect me and, and want me. It's part of what they employ me to do is to offer some personal insight. So I've got to do that. But, um, you know, when I'm on and when I'm working, I, I am pretty steely. Um, I don't let emotion get the better of me. But at the same time, I, I want to clearly reflect 
that person. And, and in the case of Bert, obviously, I had a lot of personal stories and things that I could share. Um, Shane Water had a lot of personal stuff I could share as well about my connection with him. So you've got to bring what you can to the table, but at the same time, you've also got to deliver information in a sort of calm and, and concise way. And, but that's true, and it's probably true of any journalist who's writing anything. Sooner or later, you're going to encounter a story that has a hits you personally, but it's, I guess it's somewhat harder when you are on radio or TV because you know, people can see straight through you if you, if you are visibly upset. We'll make this the last one, Peter. Have you put that watch away in a safe place? <laughs> well, I have, yeah. I have very much so. In fact, I don't wear it very often. Oddly enough, this is a watch that Bert gave me for my 21st birthday. And Bert and Patty. And, um, oh, was it my 18th birthday? Don't forget, either way, it's a treasured thing. And I don't wear it much because I'm always, I'm always losing things. I spent my life losing sunglasses, hats, everything. So I, I, oddly enough, I think the last time I wore it, and I had worn it for several years before, was actually the Burt's funeral, which sounds a bit creepy, I know, but I got it off and I got it cleaned and I wore it on that day very proudly. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it was one of those uh, connections with Burt. And of course, I still remain very good friends with Patty too. I've been talking to Peter Ford, uh, entertainment reporter. You can see him on Twitter, as he said... <clears throat> On the worst of me on the Twitter, on Twitter, though, Tom. <laughs> the no, nice well, me. Let's, 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 let's not do that. Let's not go down that road. Um, you can see him on Sunrise. You can see him. You can hear him on radio as well. Peter, thank you uh, for making your time available today. Oh, that's my pleasure, Tom. You have so many learned people and intelligent people. I was greatly honoured that I would be, I must be considered a bit of light release, but you've put together a great library of, of guests and fascinating discussions, so thank you for including me. Absolute pleasure.